1 Corinthians chapter 9 to start with. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And then as you are turning there, um, worship team, we had planned on doing a different song. Let's do Build Your Kingdom here to close. Okay. I didn't think they'd mind. Or they'll hate me later. It's fine. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. I always wish, so this is not the first letter that Paul and the, the, Corinthians church, the Corinthian church exchanged. This is actually probably a response from Paul to a letter that he received from the Corinthian church answering a bunch of questions. And so that's why sometimes if you're reading through 1 Corinthians, it can seem a little disjointed. It's probably because he wrote this part to answer this question and then started another thought to answer another question. And since we don't have the first letter, we don't know exactly what the questions are. But he says in verse, starting in verse 19, I'm going to read from the message translation. I think it says it incredibly well. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever... I didn't take in on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that so much. There's so much I want to unpack there, but I'm going to maybe leave that for another day and, and jump into talking about more about St. Patrick. But there's this line. There's this line. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. The person we know as St. Patrick was actually born by the name Maywin Sacant. Maywin Sacant. He was born in England, and he was culturally Roman, which means that his first language was Latin. And he was raised, if he's culturally Roman, he was raised that the Roman way of doing things superseded every other way of doing things. Okay? That if you didn't do it the Roman way, you were essentially wrong. Um, it's the other, the other day I was cutting, uh, we did baked potatoes at the house, and I was cutting my baked potatoes, and my wife was like, what are you doing? I said, cutting my potato. Now, I was unaware that there is a correct way to cut a potato. I didn't know this. See, I just, I just, I set it down and I cut it. That's about the thought that goes into my cutting of a potato. But my wife demonstrated that if you set it on, like make it tall and you cut it, then when you lay it, when you lay it open, it sits flat, so like your butter doesn't run everywhere. I'm like, oh, okay, so that is actually a better way of doing it. Um, but there, every single one of us has those. And I love that when she said, do you know why this is the right way to do it? And I was like, did you like read it on a blog? She's like, no, it's the way my mom did it. And so I'm like, that's awesome that the right way to do it is the way mom told you to do it. So kids who are listening to me right now, the right way to do it is the way mom told you to do it. Okay? Amen. Thank you very much. So... We all have this idea that the way we do it is the right way to do it. And that's how St. Patrick was raised. Patrick was, ra was raised that the idea that the Roman way of doing life, doing church, doing religion, cutting your potatoes, was the right way to do it. 
Now, his family was Christian, but he didn't grow up that way. He went to Mass when he was younger. His grandfather was a priest. His dad was a businessman. But he, was, he grew up in church, but wasn't really doing what he was supposed to be doing. All the things I read is that he had a very tumultuous, that's the word that, I, I don't know why, but a bunch of different books I read use that, a tumultuous early teenage years. He was, that's why I love the phrase, the loose living immoralist. That's what Patrick was, or Maywin at this point. Um, and he was 16 when a very tragic moment happened in his life. When he was 16, living where he was, his community was invaded by the barbarians from the Celtic Isles, what we now know as Ireland. And they came and they kidnapped Maywin when he was 16, took him to Ireland and sold him into slavery. That was his first experience to the country that he would eventually go back to and bring the gospel of Jesus. And it made me think, and I, I, it's been true in my life, and I think it's probably going to be true in your life. A lot of times, your place of greatest hurt is also your place of greatest ministry. A lot of times, the place where you feel like this hurts too much is generally the place that God's like, let me redeem that so I can do some amazing things from it. And when he was there, this really amazing thing happened. And, and in St. Patrick's Confessions, you can read this from his own words. But as he was there, he, was a, 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 he herded cattle, he herded sheep, and so he was by himself a lot. And it was really this moment that he began to understand who God was through nature, through the sunrise, through the stars at night. He really began to understand that, that there's this God who created all these things. And he began to fall in love with God and nature. And the moment that he decided, I'm going to stop living the lifestyle that I had when I was in my hometown and follow my, my grandfather's uh, calling and he knew he was going to be a priest and he just didn't know how because he was still a slave, something changed in his heart. He no longer saw the Irish as his, slave, as his, as his master. He began to see them as simply people who needed Jesus. These people that had stolen him away from home and kept him in slavery for multiple years, he began to build love in his heart for them. He says he came to understand the Celtic people. I love that phrase. I love that phrase and I think that's something that we as Christians can probably do a lot better of in our world right now. Patrick began to understand the Celtic people. He understood their language, he understood their issues, and he understood their ways. Now, as Paul said, he didn't dive into them. He didn't dive into what they were doing, immoral things, but he began to understand what they were doing and why they were doing it. And he began to fall in love with these people, and I think that's something, one of my first points I want to make is that if we want to truly evangelize the world, we need to understand the world. We need to stop looking at the world and judging what they're doing from our perspective and start jumping into their perspective and trying to understand where they're coming from. If we can understand their culture, if we can understand their ways, if we can understand their music, because that's part of culture. And I had someone, when I was talking to them about this recently, like, well, we shouldn't encourage people to, to listen to secular music because it doesn't praise God. I'm like, well, that's fair. But I guarantee Patrick probably sang some songs with the people of Ireland that weren't always praising God. They may have just been fun songs or folksy songs or songs about history. But he made sure that he wasn't sinning, but he joined in every other way he could. 
He identified the truth within their culture. For the Irish, um, the Celtic people, we'll call them Celtic because they weren't Irish at this point. They were Celtic people. They believed that the divine, they, they were polytheistic, they believed in lots of gods, but they believed all those gods were really close. Roman culture was the gods were far away and only came down when they were mad to, to kind of torment you. The Celtics believed that all the gods were really close. They believed in sprites and fairies and, and wisps and all these things that were always very close to you. And so when Patrick would later come and say that Jesus wants to become one with you, that made total sense to them. He, he looked at what he could use within their own culture to build Jesus on. He says he loved his captors. He identified with them. He didn't see himself as distant from them. He didn't see himself as separate from them. He saw himself as one of them. And man, that was totally different from the Roman way of doing life. The Ro- Again, the Roman way of doing life was we are better, and as the, Rome would, as, as the Roman Empire would conquer more and more places, they would let them keep a lot of their culture, but those cultures always understood that the Roman way of doing things was better. And I love this, that at this point, St. Patrick decided he wasn't better than they were. He wasn't better than they were. He wasn't above them. That he began to identify with them and see his flaws and his issues in them as well. He began to recognize, as all of us should, that without Jesus, I'm just like them. I love that. He began to understand That if he had not given his life to Jesus, had not placed his faith in Jesus, he would be just as lost as these Celtic barbarians. So in a dream, God tells him how to escape from slavery, and so he does. He travels about 200 miles from where he is to the coast, um, hides away on a boat, gets back to his homeland. And the first thing he does when he gets home, literally, he doesn't even go back to his family. He goes to his local uh, church. And says, I need to be a priest. That's the first thing he does. Because he realized, I should probably be trained in the things that I want to do. And so he comes home and he starts um, being trained in in Catholicism and, and the church. Long story short, he becomes the bishop to Ireland. The bishop to the Celtic people. Now, it's really interesting because St. Patrick becomes the first missionary bishop. Every other bishop was assigned to a local parish, and their job was to maintain the parish, minister to the people, and if anyone from the outside came in, then they could minister to them too. But the bishops in the Catholic Church, they were not about going out. And in fact, if a bishop left his parish too many times, he was thought of to be living too loosely. He was too involved in the world. He needed to stay in his parish... Stay in his home, interact with God, really not interact with the people. And Patrick didn't see life that way. He didn't see ministry that way at all. Like I said, the the bishop's established role was to care for the parishioners. And St. Patrick was ridiculed immensely for what he wanted to do. He wanted to take the gospel to a group of people who everyone thought couldn't hear it. 
We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to look at I want to look at a few verses real quick that show that Patrick is right in line with the Jesus that he said he followed. All these are in Luke. So Luke five, Luke five. I'll look at four sets of verses real quick. I'll give them to you, but I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to uh, summarize them real quick. Luke 5, verses 27 through 32. Here we see Jesus calling Matthew to follow him. Now, for all of us who've grown up in church and been to Sunday school and know the disciples, Jesus calling someone to follow him, no big deal, except that Matthew was a tax collector. He was vile. He was awful. He was ruthless. He was mean, and everyone hated him. Jesus said, perfect, you can follow me. That's still true today. I'm bad, I'm not good enough, I'll just never be able to make it. Jesus is like, perfect, you should follow me. That's really my business is to take these ragamuffins and turn them into something really cool. And he's ridiculed. He's ridiculed and it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he starts with one of his followers. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that Jesus didn't just say, hey, you should come attend the church I'm leading. He said, you should come attend the church and sit with me and then do lunch with me and then do dinner with me. And you can stay at my house and the next morning you can do breakfast with me. And we're going to do our lives together until I'm gone. This wasn't simply an invitation to follow and learn. It was an invitation to become friends. And in this invitation, Jesus, as much as Matthew began to associate with Jesus, Jesus associated with Matthew. And that's the first thing the Pharisees, which are the religious elite, the first thing that they comment on is, why are you hanging out with him? And that is exactly what Patrick heard from every bishop that he ever talked to when he said, hey, I'm going to go to Ireland and I'm going to bring the gospel to the Celtic people. And they were like, that's stupid. Your job is to take care of those who already believe. Let the missionaries do that. Luke 7. Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. It's this really awesome story. It's this phrase that says, A woman of the city, we'll leave that to your imagination since we have children. A woman of the city who was a sinner came and was worshiping Jesus and and crying at his feet and wiping the, the tears on his feet with her hair. And in verse 39, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who... And what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Fun fact, Jesus knew exactly who she was. So it's not news to him. If he's fully God, he's fully knowing, and so he knew exactly who she was. He knew exactly what she was about. He knew exactly what she probably did the night before and would do again that night. But in that moment, he allowed her to worship him. He interacted with her. And he associated with her in a way that showed the other people that were watching were together in this. Luke 15. Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It talks about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. But in the beginning, 
the Pharisees, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners, 15 verses 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's not a compliment. They're not saying, oh, he is so good. Look at him eating with these awful people and showing them kindness. That's not what they meant. Look at him eating with these awful people. If he's eating with these awful people, he must therefore be awful too. We still have. This, is not, this, this was something that Jesus dealt with, St. Patrick deals with, and then we are dealing with in this very moment. We still have this guilty by association idea. If I interact with sinners too much, therefore I must be a sinner. If I'm interacting with the lost too much, maybe I've lost my way. Fun fact is, Jesus then goes on to tell three stories about rejoicing and finding things that are lost. And goes so far as to say there is more rejoicing when one person who does not know Jesus comes to know Jesus than when 99 righteous people remain righteous. Jesus says, there will be more celebration in heaven when that lost person comes to find me than when all of you 99 who've already been found are staying found. That's what you should do. You should stay found. That's the expectation. But when someone who is lost comes to me, there is rejoicing in heaven. And then in Luke 19, our final one in this, this section, Jesus goes to a man named Zacchaeus' house. Because Zacchaeus wants to know who Jesus is. He wants to know who Jesus is, and Jesus says, well, let me go to your house and explain it to you. And when people saw this, this is their comment. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, those are just from one book. That's just from Luke. But as you can see, Jesus dealt with this exact same thought process that, that Patrick was dealing with. Patrick knew the calling from God on his life was to go and to minister to the people of Ireland, to the Celtic people, to bring the gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love and forgiveness of Jesus to them, but the established church mocked him. Jesus was mocked by the establishment as well. And part of the reason they were mocking them is because they didn't think that the Celtic people could even be evangelized at all. They thought it was a lost cause. Because in the Roman culture, in Roman church, you, their belief was you had to be civilized enough to understand the Bible. You had to be civilized enough, you had to be cultured enough to understand the Bible, and they referred to them as Celtic barbarians. That's what the Roman people called the Celtic people. Once they became civilized enough, then you could introduce them to Christianity. And, and, and the... the, the um, the barbarians of, of the Celtic Isles had two big things going against them in the idea, Roman idea of being civilized. One, they couldn't read or write and didn't care to learn. They were an oral tradition people. They didn't know how to read or write, and they didn't care to. And this other one, it's a quote from St. Patrick, and I want to read it to you. It says that the Roman church thought that the Celtic people had volatile personalities known for letting the full range of human emotions get out of control. And if any of you know me, you're like, oh, he is Irish. That makes total sense. Known for letting the full range of human emotions get out of control. How dare they? 
isn't, isn't that how most Christian churches function, though? We do. You get really into worship. Oh, brother, I think, oh, you're getting a little, too, you're letting the full range of that human emotion get a little out of control. This is not an emotionalism kind of church, okay? That's not what we do. Now, again, I'm not talking about us. We don't do that here. But other churches might. But guys, this is the reality. And if it's not the reality, it's the perception. It's the perception from the world that I can't come in there because everything's prim and proper. And if I get too out of control in my emotions, if I let my full range of human emotions, which P.S., God gave you all of those emotions, if I let them get even a little out of control, will I still be accepted? If I get angry, can I still be a Christian? Fun fact, the Bible says be angry, just don't sin. The anger's not the issue. You punching someone, that's the issue. Don't make that leap. But the anger, the emotion is not the issue. But in Roman culture, it was the same thing. Everything, middle of the road. No highs, no lows, you middle of the road. And the Celtic people just didn't do that. They were wild. They celebrated life big. When death happened, they mourned for a very long time. They let all the emotions of life be felt. And the Romans had apathy and intelligence. And that's the only emotions they had. But here was the plan. Once they became civilized enough and they became Christians, then they were expected to speak Latin, adopt Roman culture, and do church the Roman way. Once, so, okay, Patrick, so you're going to go, now no, it's not going to work, okay? We know it's not going to work, but we'll humor you, and you can go, and you can talk to these crazy people, and, and, and you know, maybe you'll save one or two, but it's, we'll, we'll go, you'll go. Now, once those two get saved, though, you need to start a church, and it needs to look like this. And they need to understand our language, and they need to understand our culture, and they need to do things our way. Now, P.S., none of that's found anywhere in Scripture. But the Roman church decided if you're going to follow our God, you need to learn our language, adopt our culture, and do things our way. And Patrick said, no, thank you. I'm going to go, and I'm going to introduce Jesus to these people. And then I'm going to create a Celtic church that is their language, that is their culture and is their way with Jesus as the focus. I'm going to go back up here. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. So the Roman model had four steps. We're going to look at the Roman model and then Patrick's model, the Celtic model. The Roman model had four steps, and these are very similar to what the Western United States Church has when it comes to evangelism. Number one, you civilize the people. That's step one. They have to have a basic understanding of morality for them to understand Christianity. If they're totally immoral, it's just a waste of time. You need to teach them some morality first, and then you present the Christian message. That's step two. 
You civilize them and then you present the gospel first thing. The first thing you do is present the gospel. They need to know the truth. So we give them the truth. Third, we invite them to believe. We present the gospel, we invite them to believe and become a Christian. Step four, if they do those things, then we welcome them into the community. Behave, believe, belong. Roman model. Behave, believe, belong. Celtic model. First thing Patrick would do when he came to a Celtic village or a city is he would meet with the leadership and ask to build um, their own community outside of the Celtic community. And then they would go into the community and they would build friendships. They would build relationships first. They would establish community. They would enge- so step one is establish community. Step two, engage in conversation and relationship. That was step two. Step two was just to have normal human interaction with these people. To build relationship, to get to know who they are, to get to know their family, to get to know their struggles, to get to know what makes them happy, what makes them sad. Get to know them. Third step. Patrick and his team would then begin to minister to the people. He would pray for them. He would help them in their gardens. He would help them around the house. He would feed them if it was necessary. He ministered to the people in step three. And step four, invite them to believe. I love this. I love this model because I think it's the only model that's actually going to work. My whole point in this message is not to tell you the history of St. Patrick and the Celtic church, but to get to this point here and explain to you the Celtic model of evangelism, the model that would take, there were 150, when Patrick got to, to Ireland, there were 150 known tribes. When he left, 40 of them were substantially Christian. Almost a third of the country became saved through this style of evangelism. This style of evangelism that starts with relationships. So again, Roman, behave, believe, belong. Celtic, belong, believe, and then behave. Because the moment we put behave before believe, we've decided you can change your behavior. Fix it. Fix yourself. Do it up. Clean yourself up, get yourself right. I got to get myself right before I can go to church. The challenge is most Western churches have, ad- have adopted the Roman way of evangelism. You have to believe before you can belong. And before you can even believe, you got to start behaving. You got to show God that you got some form of righteousness before He'll come and join you in changing you into being a righteous person. That is unbiblical to the extreme. Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can't do anything. Until the Holy Spirit comes into us and changes us from the inside out, it is dumb luck when we do anything good. It's like we tripped and fell and like saved a baby. Like, oh, look at that, I caught a baby. No, you fell and the baby landed on you. No, 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 I'm a good person, I'm moral. No, there is no morality. Romans 1, bad people are bad. Romans 2, 
good people are bad. Romans 3, all people are bad. That's essentially Paul's letter to the Romans. The bad people, we know they're bad. Hey, good people, you're bad too. You're not any good. You say you believe in Jesus, but why are you doing this, 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 and this and saying you believe in Jesus? Stop that. Three, actually nobody's good. Not one. There's not one. Not one righteous. But the, the Roman and the Western church says, well, you got to start believing. you got to come into our body. Oh, you can't be acting like that. You can't be doing those things on Saturday and coming in here on Sunday. And the guy's like, I don't even believe in this Jesus. You just got some decent coffee and y'all are nice. I like the donuts. And they're like, oh, you don't have donuts today? Oh, okay, I guess I'll just sit here with the nice people then. But that's what happens is if someone is coming in to, that is interested in Jesus, they don't know to behave yet. They don't know what the right things are. And guess what? The moment they get saved, that really doesn't change either. It's not like you go from like, oh, Saturday night, I was wilding out. It was amazing. It was awesome. Oh, Sunday, I met Jesus. Now, Monday, I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't chew. And I don't hang out with those that do. God is good. No. My favorite moment in my life when it comes to understanding this was I went to a concert. It was a Christian concert. It's a Christian rap concert. Went there. Was waiting for the people that I rode with. They had to go to the bathroom. I'm standing outside waiting for him. And this guy comes out, and he's just so excited. I'm like, hey, did you enjoy the concert? And I won't use the language he did because I now believe and know I'm behaving. But he used the F word probably 15 times in a sentence to tell me how good God was. And how much Jesus loved him and he loved Jesus. And he met him tonight and he understood who he was. But I'm telling you, like, it was a noun, it was a pronoun, it was an adjective. I was impressed. Like, I was equally impressed. Like, I didn't know that you could do that. With just one word. But he did. But the content of his message was like, Jesus is awesome, God's awesome, his love is awesome, you should love him too. Dude had been saved for like 35 seconds. But how many of us, if we're being honest, does that immediately bother? Oh, brother, you... You can't be doing that. You believe, so you got to start behaving. And yes, you do, but it's a process. Because I'm going to be honest. I'll be transparent for a minute. got saved in 01. It's 19 years now that I've been saved. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, there are certain words that come to my mind. There are certain attitudes that come to my heart. When my children don't listen to me, there are certain amplified volume levels that want, to exp that want to come out of my mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like, can we be real for a second? Like, when bad things happen, I'm not super great at always being Christian. 19 years in. And I've talked to some of my, my more seasoned saints that tell me, I'm going to say for 40 years. It's the same thing. We're constantly fighting our flesh. So, so let, me, let me just ask real quick. If you're 40 years in still fighting your flesh, why do you think those who don't have the Spirit of God will ever be able to fight their flesh? We've got to change from the behave, believe, belong mentality to you can belong with us first. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong. In fact, we probably have more in common than we don't. And then once you belong, you're going to want to believe because it's awesome. 
Because we've ministered to you. We've prayed for you. You've been to our homes. You've had dinner in our homes. You've met our kids. And then you're going to believe and be like, oh, I kind of just already sort of believe that anyway. Well, great. And now that you believe, let's work on together what it means to be a Christian. And you see this. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. In Acts 10, Peter meets with this guy named Cornelius. And before he meets with Cornelius, God gives him this dream. And in this dream, he says, hey, Peter, there's all those animals that you couldn't eat. You can, you can eat them now. It's fine. And Peter's like, no, no, no. I haven't eaten those from the day I was born. I'll never eat them. And Jesus is like, no, I promise. It's really okay. The symbolism is it's equally about the animals as it is about the people. What Jesus is truly telling Peter is like, everyone is now okay. Because he goes to Cornelius' house and he makes this phrase, um, <laughs> you do know it's wrong for me to enter your house because you're a sinner, because you're a Gentile. Fun fact, you can't find that anywhere in the Old Testament. That was a Jewish traditional law. It wasn't from the Bible, it was from the Jewish traditional law. And Peter said, first thing, I shouldn't be here, you're a Gentile. Long story short, they pray together, the Holy Spirit comes on them just as it did to the Jewish people in Pentecost. And Peter's like, uh, uh, I, uh, okay, that's different. I wasn't really expecting that. And so then there's this giant council that gets together in Jerusalem that's really deciding, does someone have to go from um, Gentile to Jew to believer, or can they jump the Jewish part and just go Gentile to believer? And Peter references this meeting. He references this meeting, and, and essentially they decide that you don't have to do all the things to become a Christian. To become a follower of Jesus. This is probably 20, maybe even, probably 15 to 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus said, you're going to go into all the world, into Samaria and into the Gentile places, and you're going to do all these things, and you're going to be my witnesses. 15 years after that, Peter's still like, no, no, I'm sorry. They're awful. I can't. I'm staying with my people. This is not something that's easily changed. I don't expect us to leave here and then next week we just immediately understand that everyone should be able to belong in church whether they believe or not. I don't expect that unless God does something miraculous. What I expect is for us to begin to think about, to begin to put a check in our heart, to put a check in our spirit, to put a check in our brain that says, am I putting unrealistic requirements on someone for just getting into church? Do I think that they have to look a certain way or act a certain way or not do certain things for them to even come into church? And if you do, you need to check it right now because that is not Bible. Everyone is welcome with Jesus. And he makes that point over and over and over again and is ridiculed by people over and over and over again. It is clear that Patrick recognized that God himself did not maintain a safe distance from the sinful world, but rather entered into his own creation as a man. He related with us, understood us, empathized with us, created community with us, built relationship with us, and loved us. He never did this by standing at a distance and condemning, but by standing next to us and loving. Patrick did the same thing with the uncivilized barbarians of Ireland. By the time of his death, 40 or more of the 150 Celtic tribes were predominantly Christian. Patrick changed the face, changed the direction, 
changed an entire country that was thought to be unreachable because he saw what God did for us and decided to simply do the same. I believe that HCC can do the exact same for this community in Harrisonville and for surrounding areas. If we simply take, this is what Jesus did, maybe we should do the same thing. Belong, believe,